Welcome to the Global Hearted Podcast, where your heart for people around the world can deepen, and where you can be empowered to better reflect Jesus and His heart for all to know Him. I'm Jason Paulson, here with Anthony Taylor for today's discussion. Well, Anthony, last episode, we talked about reading uh, the Bible with our Muslim friends, and specifically uh, ways that we can approach reading the Old Testament or books like Deuteronomy with our friends. Um, We're going to continue on uh, talking about that, but you were, uh, last time, you were talking about how Deuteronomy calls God's people to love him, and I think that that is uh, a way that the New Testament writers bring that uh, those quotations in to Deuteronomy, emphasizing how God calls them to love. Uh, is that what you've seen when you read Deuteronomy? Uh, Jason, yeah, this is, this is, I mean, I didn't for many, many years, as I said previously. I, I kind of looked at Deuteronomy as just a bunch of laws that were set free from, but I didn't realize that embedded within those laws, there was an ethic that God was calling his people to, and also that it it really is the book that calls people to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and and um, and so it actually is a book of devotion. And if we, you know, can if if we can shift our minds and read it in that way, and look at it more like wisdom literature and how can we get the wisdom that's embedded within this genre um uh, then you know we can we can we can get the benefit of it um and because the new you know the new testament writers understood that true faith it was evidenced by a desire to love god um and God creates that desire in us uh, as he brings us into this dynamic, transformed and being transformed life, a life shaped by his indwelling. And, and with God living within us, he's putting us within us a desire to love him. And he's putting us, you know, that desire to love him is manifested by we want to become like him. We want to be fashioned in his character and his character to become, you know, to shape us, um, you know, and so that we end up expressing his character by the way we live and the way we treat one another. And I wouldn't have discovered any of this about the book of Deuteronomy had it not been my, you know, friend who was Muslim in background and he told me how significant Deuteronomy was for him personally and for Muslims in general. And so even though I didn't understand what he was saying at the time, I honestly couldn't relate to it at all. I never forgot his words and they caused me to to question for many years what what is it that I'm missing here? And sadly, it did take me many years to figure that out. Um, And then as my interactions with Muslim friends grew, you know, I came to realize even more why the book of Deuteronomy was so vital. And, um, 
This is because of what many Muslims think about Christians and the Christian faith, because many have negative stereotypical images of Christians. You know, for the average Muslim, whether it's from Morocco all the way over to the southern Philippines, the, the average Muslim, when they think of Christians, Christians have in their mind have an you know, they appear to be licentious libertines, which means that we're drunkards, we're immoral, we're unfaithful in marriage, we divorce freely, we have broken families, and in our families, the children don't love their parents, which is why elderly parents are putting nursing homes, and parents don't even love their children, which is why parents encourage their kids to get out of the house when they're 18. You know, they, they, <clears throat> they see this stuff and they interpret it um, because they haven't lived. The vast majority of Muslims in the world have never met a person who loves Jesus. Um, this is true, actually, of many of the Muslims who've lived in Europe and the Americas for decades. And since most Muslims have never personally known a follower of Jesus, the images Muslims have of Christians are created by the social media, by the news, and by Hollywood movies. And, and so if that's how, it's kind of, you know, we can't, you know, say that that's wrong of them to do that. That's just human nature. We have the same problem here. Many Americans have never met a Muslim. And so their images of Muslims are shaped by what they see on the news. And what is on the news is never, oh, these people are wonderful people. It's like they're terrorists, they're bombing each other, they're killing each other. And so their people have fears because they have a stereotypical image of what a Muslim is and they that causes apprehension. So it's just human nature because we, we don't know one another. Um, so besides these negative stereotypical images that Muslims have about Christians, they also have distorted views of the Christian faith. So let me give an example of what I mean by that. So I was, you know, in overseas and I was sitting with a Muslim man. And so I asked him, I said, what do you, what in your mind, what's the major difference between Islam and Christianity? And he said this, he said, when we think we think that when we sin, we get punished. When we do right, we get rewarded. You Christians think that when you sin, you get forgiven. Now, I sat back and I started thinking about what did he just say there? You know, because in a, in a sense, that's true. You know, when we sin, we get forgiven. But he put it in the context of when we as Muslims sin, we we know we're going to get punished. And so I began to think about that, reflect on that. And then, you know, and then I realized he was saying what many Muslims think. Muslims believe, believe in the day of judgment, and they have a healthy fear of it. So <clears throat> because of that, they have a reason to try to do what's right. Now, on the other hand, they don't know that we believe in the day of judgment, then they think we don't, you know, because our sins are just forgiven. And so, um, so we, in their perception of Christians, they think that Christians can flagrantly sin and not worry about the eternal consequences. 
we can just go out and sin and get away with it. Now, who would want that kind of person in their community? <laughs> yeah, he can just sin and get away with it. Nobody wants those kind of people around them. But <clears throat> just think about that. So that's that's what people are thinking in their mind. Most, the average Muslim is thinking this in their mind. And then we go to describe our faith. And the way we describe our faith reinforces this, this perception. Because when we talk about our faith, we love to use the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, or the woman caught in adultery in John 8. Because we're trying to talk about the wonderful grace and the forgiveness of God. But what we've been insensitive to when we do this is what Muslims hear when we use these wonderful parables. They hear, okay, the prodigal son, I mean, the prodigal son, and this is the whole point of the story, he goes out and he sins some of the worst sins you can possibly sin. When he asks the father, give me the inheritance, what he's saying to the father is, it doesn't matter to me whether you're alive or dead. And actually, I would prefer it if you were dead. Give me the inheritance now. And then he leaves. And what does he do with the money? He spends it on wine, women, and song. You know, absolute reprobate. And, um, and then he comes back and he doesn't suffer any of the consequences for doing wrong. Um, and it's the same with the adulterous woman. And so in their view, see, we're hearing this, you know, a story about this unbelievable mercy and grace and forgiveness of God. And they're hearing, um, this is the stories Christians use to justify their shameless sinning and not worry about the consequences. <laughs> and, you know, that's not what we mean at all. And yet we're not paying attention to how they're what they're thinking already. And so then we complicate this in the way we talk about our own sinfulness. Because we all know that as we walk with God, we stumble. And, you know, so none of us are without sin, is it in John, first John chapter one, you know, who can say that they're without sin, you know, it's, it, is it, we don't, we don't go there, because we know that, you know, we stumble. And because we're in the, you know, the late 20th and early 21st century, you know, we don't want to seen, be seen as superior to anyone. So we feel the need to declare that we are still sinners on a journey. Now, it is important to be humble and authentic before God and before one another. And so we ought to acknowledge and value what God has done and you know, in, in, in forgiving us. But it's also important for us to acknowledge that God, also what God has done, in that he has put his spirit within us, and he's begun a, a work of, you know, transforming us. Um, so we need to value what God has done and is doing within us. So let me give you another example of how our imbalanced humility can cause our Muslim friends to misunderstand us. I had a Finnish friend. Let's call him Yuha. It's, a, it's not his real name, but we'll call him Yuha. And his faith was shaped by his Lutheran pietistic culture. You know, he was a strong believer. Um, and he occasionally attended a Bible study with some Muslim background believers. 
And during the prayer time, and now all these believers knew Yoha very well. And, um, but during the prayer time, he would confess how sinful he was. And he would plead for God's mercy and forgiveness. You know, and if you understood Finnish Lutheran pietism, you, you could understand it. He, he just was, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm just such a wicked sinner, you know. And yeah, he, he's deeply trying to feel, you know, the, you know, if he was kind of angry with his child that morning or with said a stern word to a colleague, you know, he want, he, he wanted to be, he was a very sensitive soul. Um, so one day a Canadian friend, and we'll call him James, which is not his real name, but a Canadian friend, James, was also in the meeting. And so afterwards, the, the, the Muslim believer, background believers came and they asked James, they said, what does Yoha do when he's alone? You know, because they knew him as a kind and thoughtful person, honorable in so many ways, and yet they wondered what kind of terrible sins he could possibly be committing in secret. And <clears throat> just such a, you know, some of his stuff is just cultural. And I had a similar experience with a pastor of a church I was attending. In his sermon, he, you know, he wanted to be authentic and humble. And so he would focus on his own sinfulness. And he made it sound that he had little to no transformational grace in his life. And so I said to him one day, we were having lunch, and I said, Fred, if you were as bad as you make yourself out to be in the pulpit, your wife would have left you long ago. <laughs> oh, but you know, in, in, in a cultural context, you know, in the U.S., that's not such a big deal. But when you're overseas in another cultural context where people have a whole completely set of different set of thoughts, we need to be careful about that. So if we would just listen to our self-descriptions and to these parables of the prodigal son and the adulterous woman through the ears of our Muslim friends, we would see how these confuse and reinforce their misperceptions. When we speak about our sinfulness and use these stories, do we mean that we are free to get drunk, sleep around, and not worry about the consequences? No, we don't. Yet, this is what our Muslim friends typically hear when we say things like this. So how do we avoid this miscommunication and overcome these stereotypes of who we are and what we believe? Well, we should follow, Isis suggests that we follow the apostles and the writers of the New Testament that take a Deuteronomic approach to talking about our faith. Let's talk about loving God. You know, God has done something within me. And you know, I, because of that, when I gave my life to Jesus, I don't know how it happened, but my, my orientation and my desires all changed. And I actually started to love God and, and loving God's word. And I wanted to learn, you know, and obey God's commands. And I'm not perfect yet, but <clears throat> this is my, this is this is where I'm at. This is where my heart is at. And we, we should acknowledge that we're not exceptional people. 
We are simply those who came to understand and accept God's offer to us of salvation through Jesus. And because we accepted it, that uh, this offer, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit changed our hearts and put within us a love for God, along with a desire and an ability to obey God's commands. Now, we're still human, we're still flawed, but our heart and our life's direction has changed. And by saying this, we're simply acknowledging and affirming that God kept his promise in Ezekiel 36. Um, if we were to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36 and looking at 20, verses 25 to 27, this is what we read. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Now, that's a powerful promise. That is, from my vantage point, that's the new covenant in summary. We can see the similar words in Jeremiah about the new covenant, but I really like these words in Ezekiel 36. And Jesus actually referred to these words of Ezekiel when he said in John chapter 3, verse 5, uh, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And, you know, um, because Jesus is being shaped, you know, this is all integrated. You know, Jesus is not coming you know, coming up with a new gospel, his, the gospel is rooted in what God had said in the Old Testament. Thanks for joining us on the Global Hearted Podcast. If you have more questions about how you can find ways to follow Jesus around the globe, or if you have questions you would like to hear Anthony answer, email us at anthony.taylor at globalhearted.com. Or to hear more episodes, go to globalhearted.com. And now receive a good word. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.